Long days and pleasant nights to you folks. This week's guest is comedian and writer Sam Grittner. He and I have an excellent talk about how to become and stay sober. Um, he's a really good guy. Go check out samgrittner.com for more information there. As always, you can fund us at patreon.com slash waywardwordsmith. Please consider checking that out. I would appreciate that. It makes everything a little bit easier. Also, I wrote a piece for Stigma Fighters, which is a website which features stories about living with mental illness. So you can check that out if you go to stigmafighters.com slash Tristan J. Miller. That's me. Okay, let's get to the show. When did you start doing stand-up, and how'd you get into that? Um, so I am from St. Paul, Minnesota, originally. Fuck off! I'm from Rochester. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know that. Somehow I'd missed that. Please continue. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, um. So uh, I went to St. Paul Central. Uh huh. And uh, I got introduced to a gentleman named Charlie Sanders. Uh, who is, as we were talking before about, uh, he was a teacher here at UCB when I moved out here. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a sketch group uh, that was sketch and improv, and it was called The Clownas. (laughs) And uh, I started doing that from 15 to 17, and we had sold out, it was like 150 to 200 people in a black box theater. And so I started doing improv, and uh, I got hired at um, an improv uh, place, like a whose line is it anyway? Um, and then I saw Charlie do stand up one night at Acme. Yeah. And so I went and watched him, and I was like, I want to try that. Yeah. And because I knew, like, once I started doing comedy, I've, I've, it's, I'm so lucky in the sense that I've always known, like, mm-hmm. in one form or another, especially the older I get, it's definitely broadened, but that I want to do comedy. And then once I tried stand-up, for me, that was just, that was it. Like, yeah. I stopped doing improv, I stopped doing sketch, mm-hmm. and basically for, like, five years I would go to, or I guess it was three years, I'd go to, like, four open mics a week and uh, just got into the scene, got introduced to a bunch of really nice cats when I was, like, coming up mm-hmm. in Minnesota. The comedy scene was very very uh it was just amazing like you'd have older people with experience and time who were hilarious and if they like saw you trying and thought you were like decently funny mm-hmm. they would pull you aside and kind of put them put you under their wing mm-hmm. and um so i pursued stand up um in minnesota until i was 25 and then i moved out here mm-hmm. And once I moved out here, I had planned to do stand-up, like, you know, the hustle, like, um, seven days a week, yeah. four nights, or four times a night. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> that math didn't add up. <laughs> um, and uh, I had made a lot of poor life decisions prior to that. Sure. Uh, continued to do so. Uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't learn from them. And so um, I had racked up... $25,000 in debt even though I didn't go to college. Wow. Um, like I have chronic stomach pain that started when I was 21 so mm-hmm. I think like about $10,000 and that's with insurance. Uh, so it was like with insurance and then out of pocket. 
uh, to find out what was wrong with me. They could never really put a name to it. Um, they told me not to drink, not to do drugs, not to have caffeine or have junk food, and I did the complete opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I hit my 20s, that's when I started... I would, I would smoke pot and drink from, like, 15 to 20, and I dabbled, mm-hmm. uh, which is always funny to me. You say dabbled, like... Uh, and like, like you only do that with drugs. I really feel like, (laughs) Like, um, uh, cocaine, ecstasy, uh, dabbles with weight watchers. Yeah, exactly. Or weightlifting. (laughs) Yeah. Like, um, and, uh, but then once I got to 21 and the stomach pain really started amping up, Mm -hmm. I discovered, uh, pain pills. And Mm -hmm. so I started just doing a Vicodin here and there. And uh, then before I knew it, I was taking Oxycontin. And then by 24 and 25, from 24 to 25, I was smoking crack every day and doing sniffing heroin every day and spending at least $200 a day on that. Wow. So, yeah, so you can see where, (laughs) (laughs) like, trying to, like, how where, oh, that's where the other, (laughs) like, built and built and built and built and built. But going um, back to just like the stand-up scene in Minnesota, because I'm curious about it, because I never took the opportunity while I was li- I lived in Minneapolis for about two years. Okay. And I never got the opportunity to work at the Acme there, but I hear really good things about it. And um, I was just wondering what that scene was like. And also, do you know Ben Stendel? Yes. Yeah, he's great. That's all. Ben is great. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, like Acme is one of the top five comedy clubs in the country. Um, mm-hmm. I I never actually I haven't formally worked there, sure. but um, when I go back, I'm able to get time on the open mic night, which mm-hmm. it's the best open mic in the country as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, like Pete Lee was one of the the people that I came up with, and he lives out here, mm-hmm. and he uh, has been extremely generous throughout my entire career, and then especially in the last couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was, and like, I definitely feel like how I approach comedy out here is similar to there, where like, the only competition is myself. Like, sure, yeah. And if I have a good tagline or like an idea for someone, I'll share it with them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like everyone there was just like rooting for each other. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't like people talking shit behind each other's backs or like just like uh, drama. Mm-hmm. It was just very gung ho, uh, bright eyed optimist. <laughs> and, um, it's just, you know, and being, I'm 36 now, it's it's really interesting to see who's still sticking with it. Yeah. Uh, because obviously, you know, uh, a lot of my friends would like, were uh, amazing performers and then you have a kid mm-hmm. and, obvi- you know, that's, that's your priority now. Absolutely. Um, but it was, I feel very privileged to have been in the Minnesota comedy scene to grow mm-hmm. up. Was there any specific comedian or any comedic performers that you're like that seeing them really solidified that, or did you just like making your friends laugh and that sort of thing? You know, 
Um, I definitely, I'm a middle child. Sure. And I have an overachieving brother whom I love <laughs> and uh, a younger brother who used to get into a fair amount of trouble who mm -hmm. I love. And so like meal, we'd always have family dinners mm -hmm. and uh, it could get, I don't want to say dark, but <laughs> uh, very icy. Mm -hmm. And so like to, to break that up, mm -hmm. I would do I would tell jokes. Sure. And I feel like that bled into my uh, my personality at mm -hmm. a pretty early age. And then I also, uh, I had a gap in my teeth that was like two inches. I had braces mm -hmm. for seven years. I'm six foot three. I think I was six foot three like my <laughs> like first day as a freshman. Sure. Like super skinny, super awkward and gawky. And so mm -hmm. like comedy was my way. Yeah to get attention and um, like growing up, it was definitely like Bill Hicks and Dave Attell mm -hmm. and Carlin and Seinfeld. Um, but now uh, it's definitely evolved. Like my favorite performers now are like Aparna Nancherla, yeah. Kate Berlant, John mm -hmm. Early, mm -hmm. uh, John Mulaney. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. What's really beautiful about like being part of, I think, the New York scene in general is like you get to meet some of those people and they kind of become your, like, not exactly your peers, but you're like sometimes on the same lineup as them. And so you're like, oh, oh this person I really love is here with me. And that, that joy is so intimidating, but also just so wonderful. I completely agree. And I've had that with, uh, in particular, Aparna Nacherla mm -hmm. and Josh Gondelman. Yeah. And uh, they're just, you know, if I, I I I hope if I ever attain uh, a tenth of their success, mm -hmm. that I remain as humble as they are. Yeah, like cause, and what's really I think beautiful about stand up in general because like these heavy hitters do show up and do anybody's show. Yeah, which is like that's a certain level. Of, like I just want to be funny. I just want to be better. And I think that's it's the only like performative art form that does that because yeah. like, you don't see like Oscar Isaac in a fringe show you know yeah. that someone wrote <laughs> which I think is just absolutely beautiful um, speaking of shows you run a show here right? Yes um, I had a monthly show called We're All Gonna Die Tonight <laughs> which is Chef's Kiss the best title for a show I've heard in a while. Thank you Yeah. Um, and uh, that <laughs> Uh, got put on hiatus mm -hmm. uh, because I relapsed in la last February, mm -hmm. and I was basically producing the show by myself. Yeah, and um, that'd be difficult yeah. to juggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. And so I've been, I had been trying to get uh, a venue and mm -hmm. like three different places I had, and then at the last minute they fell through. Sure. And so. Uh, the day of the women's march, I was really sick and I couldn't go out. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, what can I do? I can give 50 bucks to Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I have a decent sized Twitter following mm -hmm. and, uh, I've seen other people do it. So I was like, Hey, if you match my donation, I'll send you a drawing. Mm -hmm. And I ended up raising $5,000 that day. Fantastic. And... Like, once I did that, I think it was three days later that I was walking to the subway and I was like, you should just, like, think bigger. Mm -hmm. Like, especially now, like, being sober, I'm like, okay, like, I feel very confident that I, I can, I know I can produce a good show. Yeah. Like, no matter, like, no matter how harsh I am about how funny I might be, mm -hmm. um, I, I know that I can put a good lineup together. Absolutely. And so then I was just like, 
I booked the Bell House, and that was a big gamble. Like mm-hmm. the, they have uh, I think it's like two hundred to three hundred for their maximum occupancy, mm-hmm. and you have to. The booker told me you have to sell one hundred fifty tickets in order for it to not look cavernous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was his term. Um, absolutely tracks. And uh, so it's called the Feel Good Show, and the first one was I think March thirty first, and mm-hmm. it was over two hundred plus people. That's fantastic. We raised five thousand dollars for the Ali Forney Center. What does that do? Uh, they help uh, at risk LGBTQ youth here in New York, and um, my co-host. I just want to give him a shout out. Is Mike Brown mm-hmm. at Yo Mike Brown on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and partnering with him has been just perfect because anything that I don't know, he does know. And mm-hmm. so it's just a really great symbiotic relationship. That's fantastic. Oh, you mentioned drawing. Do you like sketch or do you do comic books? What's up? I sketch. I used to sketch a lot more. And um, honestly, I still uh, owe everybody that drawing <laughs> for the Planned Parenthood. And I'm really surprised no one on Twitter has called me out for that. That's fair. <laughs> uh, but I am aware and feel extremely guilty. Mm-hmm. So for anyone listening, it is coming. Uh, and it'll be worth the wait. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I, 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 I draw, but not as much as I used to. And I wish I did it more. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you mentioned earlier in our like, off the air conversation that you also write um and do you do essays or comedic bits or do you write for other comics so i've had uh one piece published in playboy Mm -hmm. uh and then there's just like a couple other like freelance things Mm -hmm. but then mostly most of my writing is uh essays on medium Mm -hmm. and uh almost all of them at this point, there are there are a couple of just weird ones, <laughs> like very uh, off the map, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but all the all, mainly they revolve around sobriety and addiction, mm-hmm. and especially you know, and and I had a suicide attempt two years ago, and um, so most of my stuff lives on there, and then um, without revealing too much. I have a writing partner, and we've been working on a couple of projects. Cool. And uh, I'm just—I'll just say—I'm very excited about those. That sounds fantastic. Um, and do you find now that you are sober, you're more creative? In general? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first, you know, I so I had seven months uh, on this this Monday, mm-hmm. and um, I thank you. Yeah. And so. Um, First of all, so I, I had seven months and then I relapsed in February. Uh-huh. And when I relapsed, uh, I took one pill. Mm-hmm. The next day I took two pills. The next day I took four pills and I started smoking weed. Uh-huh. And then the next day I started drinking again after five years of no drinking. Wow. And by the end of the summer, I was completely blacked out. I almost didn't have a place to live. Uh, I was unemployable. And I had planned to kill myself after my best friend's wedding, but I got mm. too drunk and forgot to kill myself, uh-huh. as one does. As one does, yeah. <laughs> uh, the old classic yeah. story. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so uh, this time around, 
when I came back, uh, my sobriety date is October 31st. So I'm still trying to work on a good Halloween joke that ties in with that. Sure, sure. Um, but no more booze. That's yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love a, a good pun. That yeah. is oh, very. I'm, I'm impressed. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, the first, so coming back, uh, this time, uh, I just feel really, really committed to it. And mm -hmm. I understand that for me personally, it is life or death. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't have thought I would have started drinking in a million years. Yeah. Like I had so many, so many terrible rock bottom experiences mm -hmm. and for it to come back within four days of saying, oh, just, just one pill and I deserve it. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, I'm very intense with my program of recovery. Mm -hmm. And the first, but to get back to your question, mm -hmm. the first couple months I was really worried. I was mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm, it's the idea that you're, or at least for me, I grew up with uh, the idea that uh, you need to be a tortured artist sure. in order to create. Mm -hmm. And um, the pain in my stomach, I'm a very dramatic person. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't read my essays <laughs> or see me say I'm taking a break from Twitter and then 24 hours I'm back. <laughs> um, I have the same stomach. My stomach pain is in the same place as Bill Hicks had mm -hmm. his and Kurt Cobain had his. Mm -hmm. And so when I was 20, it was very easy for me to project and be like, yeah. I'm supposed to be in pain and fucked up and tortured in order mm -hmm. to create. And, um, after like two months, uh, I, it just started coming back and I'm, and also, I, I thought I was creating a lot of good stuff, and then looking back on it, like tweets from those months, I'm just like, oh, mm -hmm. oh, shudder. Yeah. This is not not good. Yeah, because with me, I remember, like, it went up about, like, 110% of, like, all of a sudden I had all this other energy that I didn't know I had, because, like, specifically for me, it was, like, I never got into hard drugs, but, like, alcohol really dampens all of your senses. Yeah. Including, like, that weird seventh creative sense that we all have and so like i just remember all of a sudden like oh i have all this free time and energy and money now to do things <laughs> um so that absolutely makes sense and i'm glad that that worked out for you um just talking briefly you just reminded me of you took a break from twitter and then you came back and you wrote this tweet which was absolutely fantastic and it was basically the summary it was like no one cares if you leave no one cares if you come back this is a garbage addictive thing i hate it <laughs> basically um and that really stuck with me so thank you for that because it is like i feel like specifically a lot of artists and young people feel like they're required to be on social media and there is a certain level of anxiety like you're missing a good party when you're not on it do you feel that I, way? So I go back and forth with this a lot because mm -hmm. at the end of that tweet, I also say, and I'm never going to quit again. Yeah. That's um, fair. <laughs> so, but, so uh, it, there is a duality to it. Mm -hmm. But, like, it, it, this is perfect timing because yesterday, for example, with the, mm -hmm. the Roseanne and yeah. her racist stuff, I spent, like, three hours of my day writing tweets and, like, or not, like, like – but like I, I wrote tweets and yeah, no, I guess I would, I'm trying to back out of it and make myself look prettier instead of just mm -hmm. admitting the truth, which is I, I kind of look at it now as like outrage porn. Sure. 
where it's just me being judgmental, which Mm -hmm. to an extent, like, yeah, that's very understandable. And especially like in the age of Trump and and Mm -hmm. just the polarization that we all like feel. But, you know, as as a straight white guy, you know, I'm not being attacked. Yeah. And um, obviously I want to defend those that are. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel especially like after yesterday, I had a conversation with my friend about this. I'm like, I just I could be spending my time on anything else and it would just be more productive or healthier and or healthier for me. Mm -hmm. So, um I think if you're just starting out in comedy, I think social media is something you should have in your tool belt, mm-hmm. but don't get addicted to it. Yeah. Don't be spending four hours or more a day on it. I mean, write a couple jokes, put them out there, mm-hmm. and then go on with your day. Sure. That Which I- is advice that I should take, because <laughs> I definitely am working on that. But Yeah. So when you had your relapse, you said taking one pill was like a reward, like I earned this. Yes. Was that the entire, like it was completely pleasurable? Because I know some people who are sober and then they have like a medical injury and they're given like an opioid because yeah. that's how doctors handle that. But it wasn't like that case. It was just a like no, I was, special treat for Papa. I was <laughs> very much so. I think those were the exact words. Uh-huh. Uh, I was in a bathtub with a glass of wine and uh, some very nice candles from uh, Yankee Candle. Um, And uh, I uh, was dating someone who is a really great person, but it was a codependent relationship. And Mm -hmm. especially uh, I, it just, uh, so I, I was, I had a lot of issues that I didn't bring up with them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and also because I thought I was, you know, you, I, you get time in recovery and that's, it's the, the best and the worst thing. It's your, like your proudest achievement and your greatest enemy mm-hmm. where if you say to yourself, well, I have seven months sober, so mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. And especially an addict's mind will say, well, oh, you can control it this time. Mm-hmm. This will be different than the... 10,000 <laughs> examples that you have lived through and promised you would never fucking do again. Yeah, absolutely. Setting your life on fire. But this time it'll be different, buddy. Just take one. Mm-hmm. And so it was definitely just, uh, I've been doing so well in sobriety that I, I can just take one. Yeah. And so you had five years that without drink. drinking, but yeah. you had done drugs during that time. Um, they all fell away in weird ways. Like sure. I would freebase cocaine, but my like eventually my roommates were like, "What's that smell?" And I'm uh-huh. like, "Yeah, I probably shouldn't do that anymore." <laughs> Does have a very unique smell. Yeah. Um, and then ecstasy. I uh, had a panic attack on. Okay, cool. Which is like I don't know how that's possible. Uh-huh. And then even with pot. You know, pot's been the biggest monkey to get off my back. Yeah, uh, I've been doing it the longest, and but it 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 makes me paranoid uh, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten. Yeah, but I would still chase that first high. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that makes that that totally makes sense. It's also so accessible here in the city of like like every like you can just shout anybody got weed on any street corner. And yeah. A, probably a police officer would be like, yeah, I do. <laughs> like I got a prescription, but like, and it's. 
like I had the same reaction. Like I would be laying there, like all my friends would be so happy and like calm and collected, and I would be laying there going, "Am I controlling my heartbeat? Am I the one in charge of my entire body? Who's doing this? Who's driving this meat puppet? I don't understand." <laughs> and everyone else is like, "No, oh, I just want Cheetos," and I'm just like, "How can you?" <laughs> Yeah, because I used to be that guy who was calm and fun. Mm -hmm. It was just fun. Yeah. And I still remember uh, a friend of mine came over and we got high when I was like 27. Mm -hmm. um, and he he smoked and he his reaction was, I think I'm forgetting how to breathe. Yeah. And I was I started laughing and like yeah. he had a panicked look on his face and it was like real to him. And I remember always being like, what the fuck is that about? And then mm -hmm. that happened to me a couple yeah. times. Absolutely. And it's also like, pot is this weird thing of like, it creates this weird vortex of time where like things just seem longer, at least to me. Yes. Because I'm also hyperactive. So it like just exacerbates that sort of thing of like, when you are aware of five different thoughts in between each breath, one of them is like, what, why aren't I breathing? It feels like it's been five minutes. Yeah. Am I dying? When it's just like, no, you're just sitting on a couch, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that absolutely tracks. Um, and this kind of segues into it of like, um, most, I've, I've found that most addicts have some other pre existing condition that makes them, you know, um, more disposed to being an addict. And you've talked like about, obviously, um, you had a suicide attempt and you've been fighting depression and how long did when did that start manifesting itself? I started feeling depression around 12 or 13. I very acutely remember that I got mm -hmm. on Prozac at the time mm -hmm. um, Since then I have uh, Doctors have have said that I have uh, I suffer from severe depression mm -hmm. severe anxiety um, and then I am predisposed to alcoholism and addiction because it runs in my family. Yeah. Um, and then I have another condition, which is, I forget the exact name of it, mm -hmm. but when you drink or use drugs, you become more focused on suicidal ideations. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. fascinating. Uh, it also seems like... Because, I mean, I would imagine you're putting, like, a bunch of depressants in your body. Yeah, I take uh, Lexapro now, mm -hmm. and then um, I also, I've been prescribed Klonopin, mm -hmm. which some people in the program I'm in think that you can't, because that is uh, something that you need a, a doctor, it's a narcotic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I've been taking that for 10 years, and it's the only thing that dulls my stomach pain enough for mm -hmm. me to get through a day. And I was on three milligrams a day. Now I'm down to two, and mm -hmm. I am going to wean myself off of it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's just, I just like for full disclosure. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I have no shame in that. My sponsor knows that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and but medication, like especially over the summer with the relapse, a big part of me continuing to smoke pot, especially, is that uh, I lost or stopped getting refills for my Klonopin mm -hmm. and my stomach would hurt so much that the only thing that would calm it would be pot but then mm -hmm. I'd get paranoid mm -hmm. and then once I had pot well why not drink and that mm -hmm. would upset my stomach and then once again it's just this, the devil's donut the cycle over and over again <laughs> the devil's <laughs> that's a good turn of phrase thank you um and so do you think the the, the stomach pain is uh 
psychosomatic then, or is it anxiety-based? The doctors told me that it's 30%. There's something we can't name, which is really <laughs> still disconcerting when doctors are like, we don't fuck, I don't, like, I have a medical degree, and you, you can see I'm wearing a lab coat, but <laughs> me no, don't know what wrong with stomach heat. Uh, but they basically said, like, there's there's something wrong with your stomach. It's not, and, like, that's the other thing, like, I've had tests for everything. I don't mm-hmm. have Crohn's disease. I don't have IBS. I don't have uh, food allergies. I, mm-hmm. I've gone every battery of tests. I've done Eastern uh, medicine. I've done acupuncture. Uh, nothing works uh, aside from watching my diet and staying sober and staying medicated. Mm-hmm. But they basically said it's 30%. Some, something's just wrong. You know, like the, the when God built you, like there's oops, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oops. Uh, um, and then it's like the other, it's like 35% how I treat my body with all the stuff that I just described, mm-hmm. and then 35% psychosomatic. And you, you're going through a program, is it AA or a different program, or what's going on there? Um, I won't name the organization, sure. uh, that because makes sense. uh. It's uh, no one person is the face of it. Okay. And so uh, I learned that my first go around where I was championing championing mm-hmm. it. Uh, and I was uh, this big cheerleader for the group. And mm-hmm. then when I relapsed and it's, if people see me saying, hey, this, this particular program works for me and then mm-hmm. it fails for me, then they might not go to it. Sure. And so that makes sense. And I definitely respect that attitude. But um, can you describe how it works, though? Yeah, I can definitely. I mean, without saying the name, uh, Mm. it's it's people can deduce pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a sponsor. Mm -hmm. Um, I go to meetings Mm -hmm. uh, with other uh, recovering alcoholics and drug addicts. I go to one meeting a day the meetings are approximately an hour Mm -hmm. Uh, like we talked about before we started recording uh, i've been going to a meeting every single day for the past seven months and i'm going to do that for the entire first year Uh, i have a sponsor which is someone who is just kind of my yoda Mm -hmm. (laughs) in sobriety who uh, gives me suggestions the program Mm -hmm. that i'm in i love because they never tell you what to do which is perfect because any alcoholic or <laughs> addict that I know will rebel. Yeah. And so um, they say get service commitments, you know, making coffee or cleaning up after a meeting. Mm-hmm. And so I have one service commitment right now. I'm looking to get a second one. Mm-hmm. I've had that. I've had a service commitment since I've come in, hitting the meetings all the time, uh, calling two other uh, recovering addicts, not texting, but actually calling them. Uh, two of them every day mm-hmm. um, and then the, the biggest thing is just always putting my program first yeah and so like the, the the hardest one for me or at least during the first 90 days was they highly suggest that you don't date yeah and I really wrestled with that and mm-hmm. a lot of that is ego yeah especially um, it's well it's it's ego in the sense that um, I'm like it's really funny to me because I, there's this big part of me that's like, well, I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to date if I want. And then my sp- sponsor's like, yeah, you can do that. How'd that work out for you last time? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's a reality check. And yeah. then also, 
there's not a queue. There's not like a line around the block. Like, sure. I think I'm 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 healthier. I have mm-hmm. uh, skin routine at night for skincare. Like, I'm I'm very happy with like how my life is going, but like, I'm not swatting mm-hmm. women away. Yeah. So like, why even sweat something that I'm not really dealing with? Sure. But then also it comes back to the idea that. The, the reason they encourage that is because I'm learning to sit with myself yeah. and be, I can, I can be alone. And that used to be honestly like the scariest idea in the wor- world mm-hmm. that I would have to be alone with my thoughts because I hated myself. I was an imposter. I was always, I was chameleon. I was mm-hmm. d- different people. Uh, depending on who you were, I catered to what I thought you wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would lie all the time, and you know, if I went home, I would just want to numb out. And so, yeah. the idea of going home now at night, it's like, okay, cool. I can read a book. I can walk, watch a documentary. I can mm-hmm. go for a walk. And like, I've been in enough relationships where it's also like, yeah, and like, I have total autonomy. Like, I mm-hmm. I look forward to being in a rela- relationship again, but like, I don't have to do the where are we going to go to eat dance yeah. for an hour? Which, yeah. like, it is what it is, but I can just be like, I'm going to cook a steak. Yep. I, <laughs> yep, that absolutely... Oh, that's so... Yeah, I think absolutely as someone, like, I, I kind of took two years off from specifically, like, seriously dating as for various reasons, but it was one of the main reasons was the fact that, like, I was just starting getting sober and that sort of thing. And, like, I just kind of took the moment of, like, I don't know who I am now. Yeah. And I need to figure out who I am this way. And then I can take that to a relationship because otherwise it's like, well, I'm I'm going to behave completely differently. Who's exactly. to say I can't predict my own behavior? Like, and that's kind of scary. And that's, for me, the sidebar of like, that's one of the main reasons I fell into drinking is like, I have a mood disorder. Um, and so when I do, sometimes I'm like, am I going to be depressed? Am I going to be up? What's going on? And I just wanted consistency. And so it's like, if I drink, I know I'm going to feel like shit, but at least it's consistent shit. Yes. (laughs) Like a nice movement. But um, (laughs) with the program, um, is part of it also like giving back? And is that why you do like the the stand-up shows or were they just kind of incidental? Um, they, they are connected, but very loosely. Sure. Uh, the the program stresses spirituality mm-hmm. and just the idea of bettering yourself yeah. and being available to help another alcoholic mm-hmm. or addict and um, so I mean the, the the program in general is just very heavy on the idea of doing service whether mm-hmm. that's you know making coffee in a meeting or holding the door open for a stranger or, Mm -hmm. you know, if your friend has a busted leg, like grabbing groceries for them. And then for me, like after I raised the money for Planned Parenthood, it was just a light bulb going off. Mm -hmm. And then since then I did the AIDS walk like two Sundays ago and I raised $4,000 for that. That's fantastic. And so like it is in a way it's, it's an addiction, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a, the health, it's a healthy one that benefits tons of other people yeah it's productive yeah going back to like your first time you got sober 
and even when you had the relapse and getting sober again, were you at a point where it had, did you go through withdrawal symptoms and stuff like that? Was it that level or? No, when I was 25 and I quit crack and heroin, <laughs> I, yeah. Just, just can't, you know, you know, you know the way every 25 year old does. Yeah, it's just very casual to slip that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you prefer almond milk or uh, crack? Crack cocaine. Um, uh, I ended up staying with my parents for three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, God bless them. And uh, heroin was surprisingly easy to kick. It was crack. I was fixated on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Just my mind would would focus on it. Um, but I never uh, was in a formal like uh, rehabilitation center mm. for that. And then. Um, both times, uh, the, I guess the answer is, is no. The The mm-hmm. thing that was the scariest is that I had quit drinking. I was, quote, unquote, only smoking pot. Mm-hmm. And that was when I attempted suicide. Okay. And to this day, it's like there's still... I'm very self-aware or try to be about red flags and what sets me off. Mm-hmm. whether it's for drugs or alcohol or my mood. Mm-hmm. And it's still very hard for me to pinpoint. Like, I just woke up that morning and my brain was like, today is the day you're going to do it. You've been saying you're going to do it forever. Um, and it's like, my brain was like, shit or get off the pot. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, very actually common with people who have suicidal ideation. It's like, well, you... I think a lot of people don't understand of like it's something that your mind acts actively wants like something like that's an achievable goal like anything else in life yeah as opposed to people like i think specifically with the cavalier attitude of people going oh, i just want to kill myself like yeah. it's like oh did you have a bad day at work whereas it's like no that's something that's achievable and desirable for someone who's got that particular predilection of like i remember i've looked at so many door frames and gone that's that's the one that's the one i'm gonna that's the one and that's we like uh, like i was gonna say a weird thing it's a terrible thing to think but it's also just like something like oh yeah no that like it's not i was i remember i was doing a scene in acting school where i uh, my character was committing suicide in the scene and the the teacher was like i think you should be more emotional and hysterical and that's how like people do and i'm like i'm not gonna get into this in front of all my peers but trust me when i say it's cold it's just like, oh, no, this seems like the right thing to do. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and that's terrifying when that's coming from, the, like, the call's coming from inside the home. Exactly. Oh, I couldn't put it better. Yeah. Ugh, it's, whew, it's like, because it, you scare yourself, and then that adds to the, like, am I a bad person? And, like, that compounds everything. And not getting into it, but it was just kind of like a random, like, you just woke up and that was it. Yeah, I, I think a couple months prior to that, I had written a suicide note, and mm-hmm. I had I'd stopped drinking, and so I had started saving up pills uh, just in case. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a suicide note, or I tried to, and that was the one that I have the essay about. Like, I tried writing it out by hand, mm-hmm. and it was chicken scrawl, and so I went to my computer, and... I actually like stared at my computer for like 15 minutes and I was like, what is the appropriate font for a suicide note? <laughs> and that's, that's, I'm sorry, that is very funny. Thank you. No, there, uh, I like, there's a whole essay about that 
Uh, and like my my printer, it I went to print the note out and mm. the ink died, and I was like, that's so selfish. Oh, that's so. Funny. And the irony was lost on me. <laughs> um, yeah, and but it's it's surreal, like because. I wrote a note out. I printed it out. Yeah. And then my mind was like, nope. And so you go from being like, I'm going to end my life to mm-hmm. let's watch some TV. Let's yeah. have some pie. Yeah. How do you walk like, that what? back? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, yeah, I don't. Mm. Yeah. That Like, how do you, it's not like, how do you go on? But like, you have this weird sort of sense the rest of your life. Well, that was part of me. Yeah. Who's that guy? Like every time I have like an intrusive thought, or like who's talking? Like who is? And it's and it's there's this weird and it's hard um, a lot of time with mental illness. I think because of like the whole like you are not your illness thing. But it is also absolutely there are times where you're just not in control of your faculties. Yeah, and that's a hard thing for people to accept in a way that is productive. Um, personal question as well because like I go through this a, a lot is like is it difficult being a stand-up and also being sober because all clubs are just bars that have a stage well I I that's uh, a fun question for me I perform maybe four times a month at mm-hmm. max okay and so part of that is out of safety Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, that's kind of how I've done it. Like I, I was definitely hitting more rooms earlier on, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I don't, I hate open mics. They are the opposite of productive. Yeah. They're so anti-productive and make me want, like those make me want to kill myself. So sorry, John. <laughs> but they like, keep it real. But yeah. Um, and so I'd rather do four shows that I know are going to be good shows. Yeah. And, um, uh, but also, like, I just, I, I have a plan. Like, for, first of all, I'm, I, I don't mind being around alcohol. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've been, the, the urge to drink has gone away. Al- sure. I've never really liked alcohol either. Yeah. I turned 21 and that's when I started drinking because that's what we do. Yeah. And, uh, or we're taught that we're mm-hmm. supposed to do. And <clears throat> so... The bigger thing for me is is being around pot, and so if, mm. if people are smoking pot in a green room or afterwards, then I just I dip, I leave yeah. right away, and um, also, but like even if it's if there aren't people drinking there, I won't stay. I'll watch people's sets out of respect and because yeah. I want to see them, uh, but that's it. I'm not gonna hang around at a bar. Like I just don't need to. That absolutely makes sense, and I. I ugh number one talking about like how alcohol is kind of garbage because i like it's one of those things of like i had a non-alcoholic beer for the first time like a month ago and it's it tastes bad it's terrible it makes you bloated the only good part is that it gets you drunk and so like what are you doing like you can also just stay up too late and get the same effect of like what i don't remember what i said yep and it's just like um like i and this is weirdly and i i have a lot of um, I have a lot of friends that I think have an issue with this. Of like, I think that alcohol is like, it is not exactly morally incorrect, but I think it can be become morally incorrect very quickly. And it's also like, because that's such a like a 
quote unquote regressive attitude of like it's conservative of like don't drink too much yeah but it is also just like from a health standpoint even doctors are like don't drink too much you idiot 20 year olds yeah I completely agree and it's just like it's bad it's, it's literal poison exactly. <laughs> I, I was gonna say that earlier like it, that's like you you're actively putting poison in your body and just like it's just so sad in a weird way of like why do you need that and what's going on because I know like and you and I were talking briefly about being in the service industry and it's so um, I don't know the French prevalent yeah prevalent and it's like required reading of like you go out and you have drinks with your co-workers or if you work at a bar or a restaurant that has a bar you're gonna get free shots at the end of the shift or whatever if you oh for me it was dirt during the shift, at the beginning of the shift, after, mm-hmm. I mean, it was all day. Yeah, and it's, that's so common, specifically in New York, and I'm, it's just, I think, we're getting to a point with a lot of industries where we have to look and see, well, what is professional, what is not, like, and what is an appropriate thing to do when you're fucking working yeah and i think comedy is that too and it's like i get so actively confused when i can tell a comedian is drunk i'm like well what do you do yeah you what's going on okay what's also interesting about your whole arc and your whole story is the fact that you were on like proper medication for depression and anxiety yes did that ever like do you think that ever exacerbated like the ease with which you abused prescription medication because you're like i'm already on stuff well, y- yes is the is the straight answer, and mm-hmm. then the, to elaborate on that, mm-hmm. um, I did have a psychiatrist that I would basically walk in the office and mm-hmm. tell her what I wanted or slash needed. Okay. And so, like the three milligrams of Klonopin a day, like that's only reserved for nurses who work in emergency rooms, like for people who see wow. trauma on a daily basis. Um, And then I was also uh, getting, uh, appropriately enough today, uh, Ambien. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, so I would just go in and say how much. And then uh, at times I would snort the Klonopin or I would take five a day. Um, And then when I was drinking, that's when it got really like I would just black out all the time by mixing the two. Um, but even even once I subtracted alcohol, there were still the first couple years where, or no, I guess, yeah, like right before the suicide where I had a psychiatrist that um, I would just go and say, here's what I need and here's mm-hmm. your check. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, you know, I... I certainly don't blame the psychiatrist. I don't blame my parents. It, it all falls on my shoulders, ultimately, obviously. Yeah. And you talked briefly a little bit about, like, winnowing yourself off through the program. And how does your program, like, in general view, like, actual, like, prescription medication that you do need versus, like... So, I mean, it, it's, dynamic. it is debated mm-hmm. very uh, hotly. Uh, inside the group, there are uh, people who think that if you're on a narcotic, mm-hmm. that you are not in the group. You don't, or you don't belong. Wow. Uh, but from I've I've read enough literature at this point that it says if a doctor is prescribing you something and you're not abusing it, mm-hmm. and it's it's for a specific pers- purpose or ailment, mm-hmm. 
no one like the people in my program aren't doctors and yeah. even if they are they're not my doctor yeah i mean it'd be great like if you could just get a doctor in a group like that and mm-hmm. we could have medicare for all that yeah. easily <laughs> um but it's not their job to tell mm-hmm. me like they can they can highly suggest everything else and they can even with with my sponsor they can suggest well maybe you should consider you know weaning off of it Mm -hmm. eventually but they can't say with an iron fist you need to stop this Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. and if they do that uh in my mind is not conducive to the program that i want to work or i believe that i'm a part of that that absolutely makes sense do you were you raised religious or are you religious now um uh, I laugh because, so my mom, uh, as she would tell at every dinner party, uh, is a recovering Catholic. <laughs> my dad is, a pr- as far as I know, has always been a militant atheist. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> I might be misremembering this, but, because I'm sure my parents, my parents listen to all, everything I do. and it's very nice mm-hmm. um, but I might be misremembering this but I, I remember when I was like 10 years old I went up to my dad and I, I, said, I asked him what happens when you die mm-hmm. and he told me they throw dirt on you <laughs> and that's it <laughs> and so there is a big like we went to my brothers and I my older brother and I went to uh, Unitarian Church. Okay. Are you familiar with Unitarianism? Universalists. Basically, it's basically like a smorgasbord of religion. Yeah. yeah. It's like take what you want, leave what you want. It's like a buffet (laughs) of of spirituality. And Uh I think like when I was like six or seven, my older brother and I concocted a scheme where we're like, we're gonna sit mom and dad down and tell them we're not gonna go to church and this and that. Mm -hmm. We had this big speech planned out and we told our mom. Yeah. And like within two minutes, she was like, cool, I don't have to drive you on Sundays. <laughs> and so like spirituality was never really a big part of my upbringing mm-hmm. uh, or religion. Uh, and a big part of that, like my on my mom's side specifically, uh, the idea that of a judgmental God, mm-hmm. they would, I think a, a lot of my family would rather believe there is no God than a judgmental God. Hmm. which I don't necessarily disagree with. Mm-hmm. But ultimately for me, what it comes down to is what I believe now, mm-hmm. which is I simply believe that uh, power greater than myself exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It can be the nature. It can be the force. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's just it's something greater than myself. I mm-hmm. look at the universe. I look at, like, the ocean and... Uh, something built that and then specifically for me having like when I came to like I swallowed 90 95 pills and uh, I woke up four hours later yeah and when I went to the hospital the doctors didn't pump my stomach three different doctors told me I should have died Wow. and so for me personally it's very hard like i how can you argue with the idea that like i'm supposed to be here to do something Mm -hmm. i have no idea what and so basically since that and with the seven months that i've had the conclusion i've reached is that i'm alive to be of service to other people 
And the best way that I like to do that, and I feel capable of doing that, is by sharing my story about about all of this. Is mm-hmm. being uh, completely open and honest, which is is it can be very hard for me to to put it warts and all out there. Yeah. Instead of saying, you know, trying to make myself look good or cool or have like have every story be funny. Yeah. Instead of being like, well, no, like I mean, like. I, I like the fact that really dark stuff is funny. Yeah. But it's also really dark. Yeah. But there's also nothing wrong with that. And I acknowledge that. Like, mm-hmm. I can have suicidal thoughts and I can just say, okay, I'm feeling these feelings and mm-hmm. they'll pass. But now I'm in a situation where I have this knowledge of myself where I love myself. I, uh, I feel like every day... Like, it's so cliched, but it is a gift. Mm -hmm. It is a bonus round. It is Mm -hmm. icing on the cake. Um, I think very often about the fact that I I could die any time. And I don't want this to be misinterpreted, but I would be fine with that. I know that my writing and speaking out has helped people. I have heard from people who have said that my story has stopped them from attempting suicide. That is more powerful than anything I can do with the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, and so for me, it was when I grew up and moved out here, it was, I'm going to get on Conan. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I am happy if I pet sit for the rest of my life and just continue to share my story. Um, and that's, the, I, I tell people all the time to reach out. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I get a lot of messages mm-hmm. And I try to reach out to as many people as I can. And um, mm-hmm. I have like some solid relationships with people who were in a really dark place. Yeah. And um, that's it. Like th- and like yeah. raising money and doing comedy at the same time. Like what, what more could I ask for? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that sounds like a weirdly ideal. And it is, you said something like mo- the adage I've been doing is like, Every day is a gift, but some days that gift is socks, but every day is a gift. I like that. Yes, yeah. that's very good. Yeah, and then, like, I've, once you, I feel like specifically when you're in your 20s, everyone is kind of like, get out of my way. I'm the star here. Of course. And that's just how young people are, and I get it. But the quicker you can realize that nothing is about you, yep. the sooner you can just help this whole thing that we're doing, which is generally when people are more successful anyway because you're actively benefiting society and it sounds like you're doing that and i want to congratulate you on that and that's really really wonderful and i'm glad you uh i'm glad that i was able to reach out to you and you're here doing this and i want to thank you for being on as we are at an hour awesome and before we close where can people find your good good stuff um i do have a website which is just Mm samgritner.com Uh, Twitter is at Sam Grittner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have links to Medium, but if you put in Google Medium Sam Grittner and mm-hmm. like anything along the lines <laughs> of like death, suicide, uh, Nathan for you, like they, it'll, it'll come up. And then I just really quickly like to plug uh, the next, sh- the next feel good show, mm-hmm. which is going to be uh, Saturday, March 31st uh, at the Bell House at seven o'clock. Uh, we've got uh, Emmy Blotnick, Anna Dresden, uh, Emma Willman, 
and uh, Alex English uh, mm -hmm. as of right now, and then Mike Brown is co-hosting. That's $10. Mm -hmm. All the proceeds are going to Robin Hood, which is a New York-based charity that helps fight poverty. Mm -hmm. And that's March. March uh, 31st. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. Tristan. Hey, Christina. Do you like anime? I don't know. Do you like me? I, yes. Do you want to watch anime with me? I, I, yes. Do you want to make it into a podcast? I, I, yes. Great. What's it going to be called? It's called the Animazing Podcast. When it comes out. It comes out every Saturday. Bye. <laughs>